<laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wombat Radio. Today, we're speaking once again with Megan Clune. G'day, Megan. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm pretty excited, actually. I have a lot to ask you about, and the first of which is now you run a record label. Ta-da! <laughs> I know. It happened, yeah. And is that just, you just, like, go to a website and fill out some stuff and then print out... Certificate of Ownership of Record Label? <laughs> yeah, basically. There are yeah. a few forms you've got to fill in. And, um, yeah, you've got to get a business name and all that business. Oh, well. Um, and But then you need to somehow launch it so that everybody buys it, like to, so that everybody mm. knows that it's going on, Yeah, sees you with it, and that's what makes it real. Does it? <laughs> that's the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. What does a record label? What does your record label do? Um, well, I think it exists primarily at this stage, anyway, as a vehicle for me to release my own music without any kind of middleman. Mm. Um, Those men <laughs> in the middle <laughs> or intermediary body. Um, yeah, I guess like in there aren't very many record labels that release the kind of music that I'm interested in, um, and I work with pretty long durations as well. So that's not always uh, something that's very commercial, or um, I guess people are not really always interested in that from a you know record label point of view. Mm. Um, and it was also just about kind of giving myself a platform and eventually extending that to other people which I'll hopefully be doing soon too by releasing other people's music as well um yeah it's just like a platform for creating work and um I guess it's sort of self-perpetuating in that it it exists and I can keep making work and then it continues to exist um Mm. yeah so that's what it's about what's the most exciting thing about a record label I think that that is the most exciting thing and that it's um, you know I've performed a lot and I've worked um, sorry there's just an aeroplane I'm just going to pause there (laughs) hold that thought Um, you know I think being being a musician and working in performance everything is very um, ephemeral and it doesn't last you know yeah it escapes and I think there's something really cool about having this um vehicle to make something that's more lasting Mm. um I think you know when I was doing a lot of the Alaska projects stuff when I was curating musical Alaska um I was always performing and running around and curating and like doing all this all these things at the same time and I'd always forget to record them so I had this like huge body of work that I have like pretty much zero documentation for Mm. which you know I think it's a shame it is it is a bit of a shame um it's kind of cool at the same time it's like it's just gone (laughs) maybe it was really bad and it shouldn't have been documented it's true there is um, that idea that you hopefully make your first few real shit works to an audience of very few people (laughs) and then by the time you start gaining traction you've worked out how to do what it is that you're trying to do yeah definitely um uh, but yeah i mean i guess i'm really obsessed with 
recording stuff now, so everything that I'm working on, I want to be able like to release Do you mean like documentationally or as a means towards composition? I think both. I think um, like the relating to the immediate surroundings of something um, which I've just released. It was the first world's only release. Um, Amazing. It was like the byproduct of my next wave installation that I made. Yeah. So it was kind of both the uh, documentation and it was its own thing yeah. in the album version as well. Um, I think it's just really nice, um, similarly like to what we're talking about with things just disappearing and um, you know working in dance and music. It's just like it's, it is completely um, ephemeral. Mm. There's something um, quite nice about having like added. Um, outputs for a work and being able to sort of reconfigure it in a slightly different mm. way and so it can you, you can get a little bit more bang for your buck or something yeah yeah and the thing that excites me about dance or music when especially when people come together to experience it is that the thing that you're presenting or performing is functioning to produce an experience and hopefully if you can get the recording right, then it can produce that experience later in mm. the same people. And so there are... Or even more people. This, yeah, 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 yeah. Or people that couldn't make it or... Yeah. But it's like the power of um, something to have an, an effect or an impact on a listener or a viewer. It, it's not a one-for-one one situation where you can just record the live performance and then it'll have the same impact. And so that's why it's, it seems cool that if you frame a recording of a composition within a record label, mm. then it becomes something that people will sit and listen to as its own thing rather than yeah. as... Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think the framing of it is really important. And perhaps, like, I think it's becoming part of what I'm thinking about in my process of making the work as well um yeah so what's so now um even within making work you're some you're someone who has access to a record label who's making work yeah (laughs) 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 um yeah and i think it's also nice having something that can be that's not like localized completely as well. It makes it more accessible to people overseas yeah, and right. anywhere in the world. Yeah. They just got to find it, which is kind of the hard bit. Yeah. You got um, any plans for that? Any Yeah, ideas, I'm trying. Skills? I'm trying. Starting to build up the network <laughs> again. But that's something that is quite hard. Is That's a pretty important job of, the rec- of a record label to like yeah, promote the hustle. music. And do the hustle, right? Do the hustle. And... and um, that's something that's a little bit hard to do when it's your own thing yeah. as well. Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way of doing it where I'm not like freaking out about it <laughs> or don't feel weird about it. So, yeah, I think I'll find a way. How about those airplanes? <laughs> they're, they're pretty frequent, but they're not, you know, I think they're fine. Uh, I am, I want to hear about how to not freak out. <laughs> about about saying to the world or reminding the world that you made this thing that you would like them to 
give their attention to for a little bit? Mm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question to answer because I don't think I really know. But um, I think it, it just comes down to your, um, I guess, how you measure success for mm. me anyway. Yeah. And I guess I've sort of come to a place where I have identified that. And then I feel like if I'm able to meet those demands and I think that work is successful on my terms, then I don't really care if anyone else Do you likes want to it share your terms? Well, I think it's about creating something that is like 100% what you are interested in and what you like, but also like sort of where you are at emotionally and yeah. I, even physically in yeah. the world as well. And if I'm able to communicate all of those things... Um, then you're doing Even in most. a very abstract way. Like, I don't think my music is very... Like, literally does that. Um, but if I'm able to kind of get to that point... Mm. Um, it might be a shame if it literally did that because then there would be no room left for the yeah. audience or the viewer to just yeah. get what they need. Yeah, and that is a huge part of my um, thinking around music as well and creating these sort of ambient mm. texture, t- more textural things that don't rely on have very little like melody or harmony um, it's very simple so it's really about yeah creating that space in which other people can also respond to it um, yeah so I guess that yeah that is my measure of success I think, but I think it's something that everyone needs to think about and um, come to their own conclusions about. And then, it, yeah, if you're able to do that, then smooth sailing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like never it, worrying. Again. If you get to set up your own rules and then you get to fulfil them. Exactly. Yeah, and I also just think making anything with the current like funding situation and. I think just making anything at all is really a big achievement, yeah. you know, and you've got to give props to that. Are you making, do you feel like you're making it for particular people or you're making it for yourself, like it's an itch that you need to scratch or there's really some experience you want people to have? I think it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. I don't think there is a particular type of person or um, audience that I'm pitching it to mm. um, or, and I'm also very uh, I perhaps consciously not wanting it to fit into any particular scene as well I think a lot of people get a bit hung up on like it's got to fit into this world or this world or whatever yeah. um, but when something becomes uh genreifiable then it's already an aesthetic and it's no longer doing the thing that it started out doing this happens so my two favorite examples are indie music mm-hmm. it's not, it's not yeah. independent music it's a genre of aesthetic of sound mm-hmm. and a certain uh, arrangement of instruments and also improvisational dance is no yeah. longer really improvisational most of the time it's performing in a certain vocabulary of movement mm. so that it looks like what people who 
at one stage in history improvised. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like what they did. I think experimental music is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's actually moved away from that, like the true meaning of <laughs> experimental. <laughs> There's no experiment going on. Yeah, it's just become yeah. a, a thing unto itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess I, I'm kind of... Are you experimenting? Yeah, I think I am, but I think um, rather than dealing with the materials, I think I'm sort of experimenting more with the ideas behind music making. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really interested in very conceptual approaches to music. Um, and yeah, I think that is probably a newer, more exciting way to experiment for me than doing anything um that's purely like material based or yeah and aesthetic i imagine it gives you guidance towards what the materials of the music are fulfilling and working within yeah exactly i think um often that conceptual uh thinking define yeah defines the materials yeah um i need to ask you about how it is that you're experimenting and you're conceptual and what you make still is, in my opinion, music. <laughs> because I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> absolutely. Because I love listening to music that is working something out. Yeah. But I don't have the uh, capacity or patience or self-deludability to listen to something that that no longer sounds like music to me Mm. even if it is still working something out and it sounds like music to other people if i can't hear the music in it then i it's lost me Mm. well i think so i wonder how you manage to still make music (laughs) (laughs) i mean we could i could we could definitely talk about john cage here but i think i will take another yeah. <laughs> um, but I think do you feel that what Cage did was actually about being musical over time, like just in a different time frame? Still, things were musical, but he was also just relinquishing authorship a lot of the time to the environment. Yes. Yeah, and I think also um, framing sound in yeah, a different way, right. and which would define it as music. But it doesn't seem like um, you're relinquishing authorship. Well, I think it's not. Re- I don't think I'm relinquishing. Yeah, no. you're right. But I think <laughs> it's like... No, um, like, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm like certainly letting go of a lot of um, control that, especially if you think of the sort of tradition, the tra- like romantic idea of the composer. It's like, like from the romance period or like the Romeo and Juliet romantic? <laughs> Like those composers that you just dream about in your teenage years that you're going to meet one day. Well, I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone, but um, where in classical music it's so hierarchical and the the composer's word is like so strictly adhered to. And I think if you're looking at it from that perspective, then I am letting go of a lot of authorship. But I think something that's really resonated with me recently, which I think kind of echoes my own approach um is brian eno's idea of composition as gardening and he talks about how he sets he like his role is creating the right conditions in the soil and planting the seeds and then he lets it grow and i think that that 
he was talking a lot a bit more about algorithmic composition yeah which is something that i'm not interested in or don't really work with but um in two years time we'll be like so what are you doing in the way you're like <laughs> algorithmic <laughs> composition <laughs> but it's the same principle but i think it's uh just working with other people or even like creating that situation for myself to make music in. yeah but if um, you're making stuff from a strong conceptual base and you're authoring the framework with which to experience it through mm-hmm. then that's an algorithm of its own yeah which still has you front and center as the author it does yeah but i'm not um i'm still letting people work autonomously within the within that mm-hmm. framework mm-hmm. which is i think a lot more akin to how a choreographer and contemporary dance would work correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> it depends. I think it go. It might. I used to have this theory that it went generationally, mm. and at a generation of dancers who were raised being learning robots yeah. that learnt what should the choreographer made up on their own body and then learnt it on their body mm-hmm. and then did it. That they, um, by the time they come to making, they don't know how to make movement because they've never been asked to make movement, and. So they task all of their dancers and they get all the moves out of their dancer's body and they work with that. Mm-hmm. And then those dancers become choreographers right. and they've only ever made movement. And so they And they're bored of tasking or being tasked. Yeah. And they generate it all from their bodies because they've, discovered, they've had enough on the floor hours to discover what is the physical aesthetic and vocabulary. And, but that, I don't know if I believe that theory anymore. just to backtrack (laughs) it's just one that I had in the past Um, so when you work with people and you you decide the the framework that you're all going to operate within Mm -hmm. then how does the collaboration unfold from there Well, in, it, it's kind of unfolded in different ways, I think. Um, with Rhetorical Chorus, um, which is Agatha Ghost Snape's um, work that was in Liveworks hmm. a little over a month ago, um, which I make the mu- made it, composed the music for. Um, I, it was pretty... I, g- I gave everyone it was pretty free reign to do their thing. Um, they just had five notes to work with. Um, and I was also... Um, I was actually performing as well. I had a pretty simple part, but I was up the back controlling all of the electronic sounds. And I think that, I think that was really important. I hadn't necessarily done that before. Um, but I think that was really cool because I could also um, have a little bit more input on how things were and it, it, it was important um, in terms of Agatha's vision that it had a pretty um, steady build throughout the mm. uh, 20 something minutes um, of music so being able to control those electronic sounds and bring in more layers enabled it to have a really yeah, steady right. build. It was really funny I got the recording back last week and um, looking at the like waveform thing it's like a triangle. Yeah. Honestly, I was like, wow. <laughs> Achieved. <laughs> Achieved, yeah. Um, yeah, but then I guess also in relating to the immediate surroundings or something, um, that was literally like you, you do whatever you want for half an hour and then we'll make something from that. 
Um, so that one um, was in Next Wave Festival and I enlisted a bunch of musicians to just play for half an hour. Um, and then the installation that the audience heard was this like extended five-hour reverberation of that performance. So the two acts of like composing and performing were really separate then and like reversed essentially. Um, yeah, so that was like complete free reign, whereas Rhetorical Chorus had a little bit more, slightly more back and forth, but still a lot of freedom. Hmm. Are you... How does something like rhetorical chorus, how much do you let someone who doesn't have the skills and knowledge you have and the technicalities of musical composition, Mm. how much do you listen to them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think Agatha actually employed a pretty similar uh, method of working to Mm. what I use with the singers. Like she was, it was quite different in the original 2015 version. but even then, I was still given a lot of um, rain to do my thing. Mm. And it was also just about having the dialogue where I'd be explaining w- what I was doing and why I was making certain choices. And then um, the conver- conversations that we mostly had and like a lot of the notes she gave me were more about how to fit in with um, the dance and the prologue and um, Jen LaBarbera's mo- monologue at the end. Mm. It was more sort of... A, uh, what's the right word like a dramaturgy kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. approach more than anything specific about the music but she did she said she set the length of it and also that it needed to build throughout yeah. and then everything that I did was sort of in response to that yeah hmm it's like I'm gonna have a dinner and invite all my friends and I want it to be delicious yeah and you're like cool idea <laughs> and then it, the how is up to you. I think you just got to invite the right friends, you know. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> if you get the right group of people together, even if no one knows each other, yeah, then it's like magic, isn't it? It's like yeah, there's something so special about that connection between a group of people that's so beautiful. Um, and I think it was a big part. I think it's a big part of all of my work. Actually, I was about to say rhetorical chorus, but I think it's always a big consideration um, and just thinking about people's personalities and how they will work well together. Mm. Um, yeah, and I guess that's something quite intuitive about my, the, probably the most intuitive part of my process as well. Mm. Um, yeah, and it, it's certainly part of the score, like human interaction and how people respond to certain stimulus musical or otherwise Mm. is um a big part of my thinking about scoring and my music do you make any differentiation between um making songs and making music and making sound score and making compositions or do you just output shit for people to listen to and it's all same it's all valid and Mm, I think it's all the same. I don't know. I th- yeah, I think of my installation... Like, when I was making it, I think a lot of the installation work, I sort of didn't really see it as a composition, but I think, retrospectively, yeah. it's still a composition. Um, yeah. 
I often think that really bad dance shows become screensavers to just listen to the music because <laughs> quite often the music's really beautiful. <laughs> and no matter what. I like that. Yeah. Screensaver. Yeah, because like some part of your visual stimuli still needs to be taken care of mm. um, so that you can just zone out. <laughs> I remember working with a choreographer and I was making music for her and we never spoke about the music mm. but I would watch the dance thing that they were working on and then we would speak about the dancing and where it fell flat and where it didn't and then I would see if I could fix that with sound and she would see if she could fix it with choreography or rehearsal. Did it work? I never saw the piece <laughs> <laughs> but it was what it I think we worked that way because um, she didn't assume, she didn't presume to tell me the how of what she was trying to achieve. Mm. Like we just had to make sure that we both were feeling the same thing at the same time when that thing was happening and it didn't feel anything or those people connected in space but the music didn't support them having a, like, a feeling or whatever. Mm. And then if we agreed on that, then I was left to fix it in my uh, s with my skill set of composition, and she was left to fix it with her skill set of choreography. Sounds like a good process. Yeah, it was. All I right. think it's important that everyone has their own, I guess, role like pretty um, defined roles within yeah. that kind of cl collaboration as well. Just gets too many cooks. <laughs> Sometime. So many cooks. <laughs> uh, so you've done shows with dancers and then you've done shows that have just demanded that people dance to those shows <laughs> <laughs> and their primal urges overtake their rational selves. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what was that underbelly? 2015? 2015. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was hilarious. So, I honestly had no idea that people were going to react <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I wonder for you where the difference is between your, in, in situations like that, between your audience and your collaborators. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, underbelly work I made on my own. That was. Um, but then the I'm audience sorry. responding the way they did. Became. Made it like a dance piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It was it was really cool. I, it was that that idea of changing the audience performer dynamic was really key in making that work. Um, and it had this just kick drum pulse that was really loud, um, and you could feel it very physically. And then I'd sort of made the room look a bit like a like the dregs of a party, and so I had some. Um, silver foil on the ground and some lights and stuff which kind of invited movement apparently invited a lot of movement <laughs> and, and it needed went, to be shut down <laughs> I know, people weren't really crazy and that was hilarious um, some people get house parties shut down meg but you got <laughs> conceptual art installation <laughs> shut down why oh, for the exact same was, reasons that they shut house parties exactly down. it was really really what weird. was that called the closest thing to your body mm. Is Meg Clune. <laughs> He's very loud kick drum. Um, that was such a funny work because I, yeah, I mean, I, in working in this conceptual manner, like 
when things do get executed you do have to, it's like often really hard to just totally let go of something mm. you don't know how people are going to react to it and it was a big part of the concept is exploring sound and movement and how um sound the process of hearing of like sound being internalized and then externalized through dance yeah um uh, but then actually seeing that happen <laughs> and like everything get like, nothing got destroyed but trashed trashed <laughs> it was yeah it was really I, w- I mean in one sense I felt, I felt like such a badass but then in another sense I was like oh they're trashing my artwork <laughs> guys you're ruining it <laughs> when people all stand up at a concert I sit down yeah yeah I know you're having a good time but yep there's, um, um, do yeah, you know, I just heard this, so maybe you can tell me if it's true or not, mm. that we experience small changes in air pressure as sound, but we experience large changes in air pressure as temperature. Yeah, wow. I didn't know that. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I think you get into it when you start learning how to fly light aircraft. Are you learning how to fly a light aircraft? Uh, preliminarily. But like, it's easier to fly somewhere that's cooler because mm-hmm. the air is um, more stable or something. When, it's, when the air's hot, it keeps rising, and so you can fly into little pockets of rising hot air. But, there, yeah, I don't, know. I don't know the science behind it. But I like the idea that um, our different senses mm. are experiencing the same thing, but sound... Is just at one end of it, and mm. then temperature is at another end of it. Mm. But who knows? I might have just made that up. <laughs> Lucky it's on record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about when you do collaborate with dancers? Is it a thing where, like, where you set the frame and then they have to respond to it, or do you have shapes in mind and physical physicality states that you want them to reach, or that you want the audience to reach? Or? No. I think it's, I think it's again, comes back to this sort of gardening approach of just setting something or putting something out there and seeing how people respond to it. Mm. Um, but certainly in all of my work with Angela Go, <laughs> the one and only, um, it was really integral that everything was sort of, all the ideas, everything um, was formulated at the same time. So there wasn't, you know, I wouldn't make something and show her and then she would respond to it. We were making it at the same time. Um, and in both of the works that we've made, that was pretty important. Mm. Um, so you're responding to the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even responding to each other, but in that, in the moment, mm. opposed to being, yeah. Mm. Um, and we also, I think something that me and Anne do really well is like being able to delegate stuff. To each um, other. To each other. Mm. Which makes it really easy. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't really know anything about dance, really. Except you have an appreciation. <laughs> I do have an appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, the way of working and the way that uh, choreographers work is really interesting to me. Um and I think that's definitely informed my sort of compositional approach as well. Mm. I think it's interesting 
because there's no notation. Like in music, coming from this like Western classical music tradition, which I am, people are very um, hung up on notation. Mm. And that's a big part of composition. But I don't use any notation in my music. And a lot of it is of, like delivered via a verbal score, which is not uncommon in dance. Um, no, well, there seems to be a thing where I can only really liken it to like the difference between, say, a violin and a guitar, how there's uh, on the fretboard, is it a the thing? Guitar? Yeah. yeah, there's those dividers yeah. um, that really quantize, in not in an, an actual sense, but like make it more legible about where you are. Yeah. Whereas there's not that on a violin, but there's still those places that exist yeah. and you just have to know them. You just have to embody the shit out of them. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that about dance in, in that um, there are, say, in uh, traditional Indian styles of dance or Russian ballet styles, there are very specific, like those lines on the fretboard that you achieve this shape and then this shape. Mm. But then in the act of dancing, not just moving through a series of shapes, that is not the thing that will get you to achieving what it is that you want an audience to feel or see or experience. It's like mm. the dancing somehow has to get beyond that. And that's why I think the notation exists, but it, it requires such a imposition of legibility upon the dancing body Mm. that it undermines what the dancing body is capable of. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I th And I just think it's... Um, also, just it, it becomes this sort of process of translation from the head to the page to... Uh, and then yeah, it's yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that is interesting in a way. Yeah. Um, but... It's. I think it's also unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and it's like I, like I said before, I'm really interested in like this human human interaction creating sound. Um, and if the score, the notation is a you know um, medium, a medium in that sort of getting in the way of that. Mm. I think anyway. So does that mean that you're composing human interaction? <laughs> Sounds a bit manipulative. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, in... Maybe facilitating. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to put you, your like, title as being a composer onto these other things that you're considering. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I definitely feel like my role as a composer is a facilitator, not someone that's telling anyone what to do, but, yeah. like, facilitating yeah. sound yeah, yeah, or yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into existence. Into existence, yeah. And do you know um, when it's good? I think, you know, coming back to that, like, marker of success that I have, there's definitely... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like it, if it achieves its conceptual mm -hmm. goal, then it's good to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess I, I just keep mm, falling on this, that it, it, it almost always still sounds like music. And that seems like a huge strength of it. <laughs> and so they're either 
either everyone you work with is stuck in the thing still sounding like music or when I'm listening to it, I just invent musicality. <laughs> or, like, I'm not saying it sounds like a song, but it still sounds like it has musical intelligence driving it. I think it, perhaps what you are hearing is maybe the absence of noise. Because there's a lot of... That was beautiful, Megan. <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, <laughs> Tell me more about how I'm hearing the absence of noise and I'm <laughs> completely imbuing you as the creative musical genius <laughs> that's brought the absence of noise into my life. <laughs> well, I think a lot of, you know, contemporary music of the last, like contemporary classical music of the last, you know, 50 years or so has been really... Also, it's taken like a lot of Junk Age's work as we were talking about before, and just drawn on that noise equals music and reframing the environment as music. Um, But I don't find that so interesting and I think it's sort of reached, it's kind of gone as far as it can go. Um, So I guess I'm trying to reduce everything to its very limited means and I guess this sort of conceptual approach also fits into that where it's like it's not even about the sound it's about the idea of sound or the memory of sound um Mm. yeah so noise these sort of noisy textures and not something that I'm exploring in my music which is perhaps what's a lot of experimental music and experimental sound not music as big, defined big by e Matt um, <laughs> is well I define it exploring. in dance that like there's big C contemporary dance which is dance that looks like the aesthetics of what people who do contemporary dance at a theatre looks like mm. and then there's little C contemporary dance which is actually dealing with contemporaneity mm-hmm. and relevance and um yeah, where we find ourselves. And I think that's the same with experimental anything. Mm. Like there's experimental cooking, <laughs> which is like those weird shows where they ground down bull's testicles and made them into a sweet meat dessert or something. Oh, like make mashed potato foam or something. Yeah, weird yeah. shit like that where you're like, oh, that's big E experimental where everyone <laughs> like, gets distanced from the fact that it's food. Mm. And then there's Lily experimental, which is, you know, we could put some watermelon in this salad. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, my God. I think it also comes down to why music exists or, you know, why we eat. And, Tell me why music um, exists, mate. I think for me, or why I make music rather. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I find that kind of noise-driven work. Uh, I I don't really see the point in that in making that. Like, what are you? What are you exploring? And it, exploring it as a material, particularly. Um, it sounds so jarring. It's kind of, it's quite unpleasant to listen to a lot of the time. So mm. why, why do it? Like, let's make work that is something really n- nice. I think, you know, the world's pretty fucked. 
and I don't think we need. Do you think noise I don't feel got like us to I this world? I need to make. I think I need to make something that exists in opposition to that, or is trying yeah, to yeah. help that. Yeah, that makes an offer less for or exactly. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. No, no, it um, makes sense to I me. I just I question the ethics of making something that's deliberately very jarring. Amen. I, I think if it's something you're exploring conceptually, perhaps, you know, I think that's more interesting, but I don't think that that is the case a lot of the time. No, there's a, there's a, there's a period in every interest, which is, I wonder if I can. And then mm. once you get beyond that period, I wonder if I should. Yeah. Because what does it lead to and how does it affect others in the world and myself? And mm. yeah, I think that about... A lot of things. I, I I find myself quite happy to listen to country music or death metal music that has no vocals. Interesting. Because I can still hear the musicality. Mm. It, Over, like, not having the screaming or whatever. Yeah, like if it's the real harsh twang or the really aggressive screaming or even in a lot of opera, if it's like the... I don't know, somehow the connotations of the human voice performed in those ways mm. puts a distance between me and the musicality of, like, the incredible talented math rock drummer or the slide mm. guitarist or the mm. whatever it is, the yeah, rain I think stick like person. How we, um, I think vocal music is... Really, really fascinating because that's something that's <laughs> You're so... You're say really, really fucked. <laughs> I was like, whoa. No, no. No, no. No, it's fascinating. Um, do you sing, Mick? I did. I sang in choirs as a child, like pretty much my entire life, actually. Yeah. Um, all through school. Is that why you stand up straight? Do I? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was slouching pretty hard right now. Um, but I don't... I'm not a singer, no. I think there's something so nice about that mm. group, group singing. Group singing. Like, it's Amen. really beautiful. Yeah. And that was so, so enjoyable with the rhetorical chorus as well. Mm. I think it's the yeah. only redeeming feature of church. Yeah. Group singing. Well, it's a big part of it. Yeah. A big part of the sort of transcendent experience of yeah. religion is the singing. My mom's got these um, old piano books in the stool, mm. the piano stool. And all the front covers are people standing around the piano while someone plays it and everybody sings oh, it together. Beautiful. Yeah. That's what people did before. I think that's TV. what people did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before Spotify. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, what a nice way to spend time. Or just like in a remake of a dank party with a kick drum <laughs> like you're nice still though? together <laughs> yeah yeah any more questions no I think <laughs> I think that's pretty good I guess I could ask you about your hopes what you hope the platform of the music label and where we can listen to stuff that's mm. on it and how it forms part of the framework of the community of people like you who 
like have made are, are there no people like you <laughs> <laughs> it's called words only for a reason yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one. there are other people um look, i really hope that it can become a bigger thing and i'm able to yeah expand the platform to lots of similar people oh i'll be auditioning <laughs> absolutely it's a very grueling process but <laughs> yeah i would really love it to become a bigger thing mm. get some funding keep making good music mm. keep exploring the absence of noise mm. <laughs> um yeah isn't it wasn't it cage that was like it's that music can be anywhere yeah. Okay, so I think If you listen for it. I think that's a hugely different thing than I'm going to make a bunch of shit-ass noise and inflict it on people. <laughs> because that's... Music can be anywhere is asking the listener to have a good life mm. by noticing. Well, yeah, and it's about that, like, removal of authorship as well. It's like, the, it's the listener, it's not the performer. But you must be both in a lot of situations. Yeah. I think that's socially the position in which I find myself happiest sitting in, if I can be both of those at the same time. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Meeks. No worries.